Hello, and welcome back to 3040 Vision. I want you to sit comfortably and relax, listening to these copyright-free meditation sounds I found on YouTube. Take a deep breath. Or two. Maybe even three. Then I want you to pay attention to your posture and any parts of your body that might be holding any tension. Remember that you are made of the same stuff as the trees, the grass, the world around you. Remember that we are not separate. Then, once you're ready, prepare for the silky smooth voices of hosts Noah Harms and Glendon Frank. Welcome back to uh, a special episode of 3040 Vision. Can we call it that? Is it is it is this getting posted? Oh, this is definitely if I'm if I'm putting the work in to actually edit this one, it's getting That's posted. That's fair. That's fair. How many episodes have we recorded that have not been posted? At I this think point? three. I think it's more than three. It might be four, but definitely at least three. But yeah, actually though, genuinely I am sick. <laughs> so or at least I'm getting over sickness. So we'll see how uh my voice keeps up here. Um I can't tell the story about why and how I'm sick yet, but um it will uh, remain a mystery. Yeah, maybe we'll see if I touch on it in the episode. But today, I, I this is for like a school project for my uh, masters, so uh, this has to be actually like somewhat decent at points. Yeah, so we'll make a decent at points. Not not that our other episodes aren't decent, but you know, uh, this has to be you know academic. Some of them are indecent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kill Noah. No, we're good. Yeah, we're going to be indecent, decent. And I'm going to talk a lot, which is going to be hard because I'm going to probably hack my lungs out. But yeah, anyway, so this project, I basically have had to do meditation for like eight weeks. And I chose to do it this way. I've kept a meditation journal. And so Glendon will kind of be guiding a discussion where I basically talk about stuff. And then Glendon asks more questions and then I talk about more stuff. Yeah, we love to talk about stuff here on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you said you did eight weeks of meditation. Yeah. So what made you choose eight weeks of meditation for this project? Oh, well, that's a very good question. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I can't take that seriously. <laughs> um, so anyway, I uh, listened to this podcast from uh, Michael Gunger. He has his own little loving this podcast, and he had an episode called "How to Change the World." And basically, he talks about what do we do about the ecological crisis. And humanity is all these ideas. We want to fix the problems. We want to uh, change the world and fix things and all this. And uh, without recognizing that humanity is causing these problems and we are not the victim here. Uh, life will go on and one way or the other. And what needs to change is instead of focusing on making kind of like the little everyday changes, we need to change how we view the world so that it becomes more of a, an actual larger change 
mm. if that makes sense. So basically what he says is like um, human consciousness needs to evolve and we need this radical consciousness in order to um, change how we view the world in order to change how we treat the world. Because if you just change how you treat without changing how you view the world, you're still going to end up back in those old habits. Right. The ego will always want more is something that he said. So he argues that like there's this necessary non-dual awareness to recognize that we're not separate from things, that we are all part of life, recognizing the oneness of things and and overcoming the ego kind of thing. And so he argues that when you move, start moving towards being, what you thought might be individualistic or separate is not. It's the whole. To get to the whole, you've got to move inward, not outward. So as consciousness moves in, it inflates and moves outward. The more conscious you become, naturally, the more responsible you act. Because it's all part of you. So basically, by noticing the thoughts in our minds, we can become more conscious like this. Mm -hmm. Hence meditation. Hence meditation. So in some way, meditation can lead us to transcending that subject-object divide, I think is kind of what he's saying in this episode. Um, Moving to the non-dual awareness. Okay. Yeah. Um, So that radical consciousness, I think Mm. you said, is essentially like an awareness of self and the self's place in the world which extends into like an awareness of the world because yeah according to this perspective it's all part of the self it's all exactly and it moves into that larger self some people call it the uh the ecological self or the deep self and or the true self you can call it god you can call it whatever the christ consciousness there's lots of different terms people use um but yeah, basically, that's a spiritual aspect of it. And that's what led me into being like, okay, you know what? I'm going to try meditating for eight weeks to see if I can change the world. Yeah, cool. Um, and you, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but like, what exactly did you intend to accomplish with meditation? So in starting this project, in my initial proposal, I talked about how we are such a busy society and we don't take time to really sit and be and 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 uh, be ourselves instead of trying to be different things and act in different ways that conform with other with the busyness or capitalistic notions of society um so i wrote that you know in in walden henry david thoreau who for two years abandoned that a busy commercial life in favor of a simple life in the woods offers a solution to this cycle of busyness he writes that there were times when i could not afford to sacrifice the bloom of the present moment to any work whether of the head or the hands i love a broad margin to my life Sometimes in a summer morning, having taken my accustomed bath, I sat in my sunny doorway from sunrise till noon, wrapped in a reverie amidst the pines and hickories and sumacs, in undisturbed solitude and stillness, while the birds sing around or flitted noiselessly through the house. They were not time subtracted from my life, but so much over and above my usual allowance. I realized what the Orientals mean by contemplation and the forsaking of works. So this contemplation that Thoreau refers to here is similar, if not identical, to meditation. Right. And so my intention was to um, meditate. And uh, well, I wrote that my intention was to change the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The world is too busy. And as Jenny O'Dell, who wrote How to Do Nothing, which is a book we studied in the course, Mm. um, she writes how our world is obsessed with usefulness to the extent that in our society, time becomes an economic resource that we can no longer justify spending on nothing. But it takes a break to do nothing, to just listen, to remember in the deepest sense what, when, and where we are. Right. Because, yeah, we talk about time so often with, like, financial 
language. Like you're spending time, you're saving time, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Um, and when she uses the words, the word nothing, I prefer the, the Taoist term, uh, wu wei, or okay. not, not doing, mm. which supposes that, quote, the only way you can do anything of value is to have the effort come out of non-doing and to let go of caring whether it will be of use or not. End quote. That's from Kabat Zin. Right. Um, oh man. I want to touch on something, but I haven't studied it. Well, I, I got talking to um Eric Bergman about this at one point. Mm. Um, and like he he was th- this is such a me thing to bring up, but he was like reading a very like Nietzschean reading oh, of yeah. The Last Jedi and like Nietzsche okay. and like counter Nietzsche and how like um like Kylo Ren, the antagonist of that movie, like is trying to assert himself through power. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Ray and Luke inevitably like come to a point where they assert themselves through lack of power and just like total pacifism, which slightly maps onto what you're talking about. But yeah, yeah, no, it's touching. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Pacifism or non-doing, which is still an act. Like it's not doing nothing necessarily, but it's sure. non-doing. Yeah. So basically, like, we need to abandon our incessant desire to be useful and fix problems and instead focus on seeing right and being who we are in this moment. And one way that that can be done or how our sight can be reordered is through meditation, which is a form of not doing. And this will hopefully lead to being in the world in a way that recognizes the interconnectedness or oneness of all things. Mm. Thoreau writes that when faced with injustice, quote, let your life be a counter friction to stop the machine. So what better way to put a kink in the machine than to pause and pay attention to what those in power want us to ignore? Right. <clears throat> By not doing, I am subverting the corporate obsession with work and that is destroying the environment. And if I can become a little more empathetic through meditation, perhaps that will radiate and to other people become more empathetic and it'll kind of blossom from there, if that makes sense. That was right. the intention. Yeah. They will know you by your love, almost. Yeah, exactly. Of. They will know you by your love. Yeah. Um, I actually, I'm going to touch on that later. I think okay, cool. Bit on love. Cool. So again, th- 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 these are things that you've touched on a little bit, but like mm-hmm. what, exactly what research have you done on the relationship between meditation and yeah. ecological awareness as you're kind of talking about? Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to start out by kind of defining meditation because I feel like yeah. everyone kind of has a different understanding of what That's meditation is. So oftentimes it's associated with like monks or religious traditions. Um, you've got like your contemplative traditions in Christianity. You've got more strict meditation in Buddhism or Hinduism. Uh, but some form of meditation is typically found in, in most religious traditions. Hence why right. it's more associated with it. But it has been more secularized in recent years. And it's more common in education settings and in mm. spaces um, for uh, counseling settings or, or psychological settings where you're trying to improve someone's well-being. So I, I read this article. It's from uh, or it's actually a chapter from a book. It's a chapter on meditation from the book Mindfulness and Educating Citizens for Everyday Life. And it's mm. the chapters by Sonam Daker and her friends, I think. Um, and she... Uh, <laughs> she basically did like a project where she asked different people about their understanding of meditation. So the, here are three perspectives. There's one guy, Perma, I think that, oh no, it's Pima. Uh, Pima asserts that, quote, meditation is a process of working with one's body and mind or synchronizing the body and mind in any given space mm-hmm. and time. Um, 
And Pima's views are echoed by Dorji, who says meditation simply means focusing on one thing so that our mind does not get diverted. It is also defined as disciplining our mind by contemplating on one particular thing or person. And finally, Karsang uh, understands meditation as the complete understanding of oneself, realizing that everything around us is impermanent and that practicing mindfulness motivates one to be compassionate, patient, and empathetic to others. Right. Um, so I kind of like all three of those perspectives, to be honest. They all touch on a different aspect of it. You've got your mind-body connection. You've got um, the focus on, on, on focus. <laughs> and then you've got kind of the more spiritual realizing the connection between yourself and everyone else. Um, the author of this a chapter goes on to say that meditation is learning how to go within yourself to make your mind calm and clear, free from agitation, desire, and confusion. It is an important form of self-control and healthy practice. It augments focus and attention and could be used to enhance empathy and all intentional capacities. According to the 12th Thai Situpa, the development of inner knowledge is done most effectively through the means of meditation. So basically, it's, uh, according to them, meditation is an aspect that helps you focus and it'll positively impact your cognitive, physical, emotional, behavioral, and spiritual well-being, as well as uh, reducing the symptoms of stress and improving the overall well-being mm-hmm. of your person. Uh, and of course, I couldn't talk about meditation without referring at least a little bit to Richard Rohr. Right. Because, well, that's just, that's part of what I do. So on... <laughs> Considering Richard Rohr helped found the Center for Action and Contemplation, it would make sense that his opinion would be valuable here. On Richard Rohr's website, Center for Action and Contemplation, he, he describes meditation. What is meditation? Mm. Uh, meditation is a mindfulness practice that has been around for thousands of years. Forms of meditation exist in nearly every relig- religious tradition. You may know it by another name, such as prayer or contemplation. Meditation mm. techniques are simple and can be learned in a few minutes or hours, but they take a lifetime to practice or master. Or, sorry, a lifetime of practice to master. First and foremost, meditation is a practice of self-emptying. At its most basic, meditation is letting go of our habitual thoughts, preferences, judgments, and feelings. Meditation teaches us to live in an undefended way. Little by little, we let go of the need to prove ourselves right or superior. We discover that we are not so different from others. We tap into our immense, God-given source of compassion and kindness. Meditation retrains our minds and hearts to know true humility and love. Mm. You can make a meditation a part of your journey to awaken your true self and free yourself from the bonds of the ego. Uh, Much has been written about the benefits of meditation. Many doctors and experts recommend meditation to reduce stress and as a path to relaxation, inner peace, and happiness. This may be true, but we believe the most important benefits are the hardest to quantify. It won't always be easy, but it will be worth it. There's an old saying, the truth will set you free, but first it will make you miserable. (laughs) (laughs) Meditation can reveal truths about yourself that may be hard to face. But it's in facing these truths that transformation occurs. Meditation Mm -hmm. can be intimidating. It is not uncommon for people to feel like they aren't ready to start, but meditation is a practice. The Mm -hmm. best way to start meditating is to start meditating, even if you feel like you're failing. Yeah, I've been, just to like interject quickly, I've been Mm -hmm. reading through Rachel Held Evans' last book. um, And she has, like the last chapter I read was like kind of on the concept of like, unity and like specifically mm-hmm. like loving your enemies and like how do you do that and she yeah. she talked about it with a lot of the same language like this is a practice and that means you have to actually practice it it does not start off easy it starts off really really difficult and you have to like you have to like bend your your body and yourself into kind of this way of being yeah no and i I really like that Richard Rohr uh, quote because it 
it very much frames how I experienced meditation over this eight week period. Um, mm. It's not easy. Yeah. And it makes it, I really like the fact he talks about that you face the heart, the parts of yourself you don't want to face. Um, because I feel like that has definitely occurred um, during my practice. I've got one more quote just from a more Buddhist perspective, because that's kind of how I approach this. Um, looking right. primarily at mindfulness meditation. Um, so as defined by John Kabat-Zinn, who I referred to earlier, mindfulness has been called the heart of Buddhist meditation. Fundamentally, mindfulness is a simple concept. It means paying attention in a particular way on purpose to in the present moment and non-judgmentally. Mindfulness meditation offers the ability to see differently. Instead of seeing the world as separate fragments where there is a separate I or a separate you, a separate nature, and so on, meditation offers a path to see the world non-dually, or in other words, to see the interconnectedness of things. Kabat-Zinn writes later that the, this new way of seeing, a new way of being, holds life fragments and gives them place. It honors each moment in, each moment in its own fullness within a larger fullness. Mindfulness practice is simply the ongoing discovery of the thread of interconnectedness. So that's that's kind of the way I'm approaching meditation, in, or I approached meditation in, in this project. Right. But I also need to touch on some research between meditation and ecology, or at yeah. least on the relationship between like the self and ecology, and they're all interconnected. It's weird. We actually touch on a little postmodernism here. Nice. Um, which is great to get to refer to Foucault a little bit. Nice. Um, because Foucault does write about how the self is fluid, and it's not one distinct thing. It's not mm. a set concrete um identity yourself is intertwined with every other aspect of your life yourself is affected by the stories you tell yourself by the people you hang around with by mm -hmm. the jobs you do etc and so forth you are never completely separate from anything else so um <clears throat> in uh nicole albrecht's nature-based mindfulness and the development of the ecological self she defines the ecological self um, <laughs> so deep ecology involves a completely different notion of the self it embraces an expansive or transpersonal sense of self, a sense of self that extends beyond one's egoic, biographic, or personal sense of self, which ultimately includes all life forms, ecosystems, and the earth. Um, so it's basically humanity's connection to other life forms, where an individual identifies with nature and the understanding that nature and humanity are one. Um, it's an innate awareness that we are nature, not dominant, separate, or superior over nature. Mm. And the deep ecologist, this is a quote, uh, deep ecologists such as Nace, Bragg, and Rozak insist that a more connected sense of self is necessary to change behavior toward the environment. Nace, Nace hypothesized that an identification and connection with nature would spontaneously encourage individuals to care for and protect the environment, which is basically what Michael Gunger was saying. Right. Yeah. So what about meditation and the ecological self? Connectable practices, this is a quote. Uh, encourage individuals to see themselves in the world from a new perspective. The methods help individuals to expand their circle of compassion, to embrace all living creatures, and respect the beauty and integrity of the planet and its inhabitants. Hmm. This expanded vision of the self can happen during meditation and other contemplative practices. Einstein once wrote that a human being is part of the whole, called by us the universe, a part limited in time and space. We experience ourselves, our thoughts, and our feelings as something separate from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to our uh, affection for a few persons nearest us. Mm. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole nature and its beauty. We shall require a substantially new manner of thinking if mankind is to survive. So another thing that Albrecht notes is that it's, meditation is grounded or contemplative practice is grounded in 
ancient philosophies it's been around for a long time buddhism etc right. and so forth uh, one one important aspect here i just want to highlight is how um, albert writes that quote mindfulness meditation promotes connectedness through increased awareness of the world around us and decreased preoccupation with habitual self-indulgent thoughts that disconnect us from our surroundings it seeks to elicit in the student an innate empathy with the natural world and its inhabitants from which the desired target values and and motivation to nourish and connect the environment. Contemplative practices serve as a trigger to tune into or sink into the rhythm, rhythms of our surrounding natural environment, helping to coalesce and embed an understanding <laughs> that the principles which apply to nature also apply to humans. Basically, we're natural and we're all a part of the world. Yeah. And we need to encourage this development of the ecological self and meditation is one way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any questions or comments before I go into my next two sources? Um, I guess just this is something that I've been thinking about recently, especially like, I guess, with a mental health mm. construct. I, I, I think with the way the West has really split, like the mind and body, um, mm. I, I think feeds into a bit of what you're saying, because like you're, you're talking about like the self and the world around us, but even yeah. like. So often when we talk about the self, we talk about like our head or our brain Mm. as opposed to like, like I will like, I'll talk about like my body getting sick or like being frustrated Mm -hmm. with my body or whatever. And like have that divide between like me and then my body or even like the individual parts of my body, like maybe the brain or whatever. And just, I think maybe a part of this meditation is like, seeing yourself holistically as like Mm. this is all me and this is all a thing i need to like protect yeah a hundred percent i think that's a very good way to put it um it's about seeing yeah holistically seeing everything holistically yeah including your body including your mind including your your ego your desires and including every other aspect that that self touches in in the environment that's the interconnected aspect of it uh-huh. um so sonia geiger or geiger probably geiger and, and her crew um wrote a, an article on mindfully green and healthy and direct path from mindfulness to ecological behavior so this is an actual study on whether mindfulness and mindfulness meditation specifically can help um basically people become more um, mindful of their ecological impact or just behaving more ecologically friendly. So she goes on to say that various studies have shown that mindfulness meditation increases pro-social behavior and compassion for other people. So the question is whether that can also affect your um, relationship with the environment. So this is their conclusion. The presented evidence on the relation between mindfulness and ecological behavior favors a mediation model via personal health behavior and partially supports former research on a direct modest link between the two concepts. Our findings suggest that increased ecological behavior of mindful people is an indirect consequence of increased personal health behavior. Hmm. The overall positive effect of mindfulness on ecological behavior seems to warrant consideration to include mindfulness trainings and practices into the intervention canon of environmental education. Hmm. So basically, there needs to be... there's a connection between mindfulness meditation and the ecological behavior, but it comes indirectly through um, personal health and well-being. Right. In other words, if you're just going to meditate, <laughs> you, you're not going to 
impact the environment beneficially unless you're also taking care of yourself i think is what they're saying yeah like you you need oh man i have a concrete thought here um like you're not going to be able to like accurately or even like fully care for things around you if Mm. you're not caring for yourself there's yeah i think i talked about this on the podcast before but there's a really good metaphor i heard where it's like everyone is basically like an ecosystem and yeah. you need to be like taking care of your ecosystem before you go looking at other e- like other people's ecosystems to help them out cuz if you're just letting yours fall into disrepair it's mm. just going to negatively affect the way you're interacting with the rest of the world yeah uh Jenny Odell actually talks about that and how to do nothing she talks about like biospheres i believe <clears throat> and i'm going to touch on that in a brief moment um cool. before i get there there's only one more key source that I want to talk about, and this is Antonio Carvalho, who wrote a paper also on this, but looking more specifically at meditation through the lens of Buddhism, and specifically Thich Nhat Hanh. I'm going to pr- pronounce that horribly. I'm okay. Sure. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Car- Carvalho notes that, um, Bateson argues, that there are three main causes of environmental problems. Technological advances population growth and misconceptions about the human nature and its relationship with the environment interesting that third one is the key one that michael gunger focused on as well sure. and a variety of our sources above um so basically these values are wrong and uh gutari um argues that in favor of the, the the development of three ecologies the social environmental and mental one calling for a new social and aesthetic practices new practices of the self in relation to the other to the foreign, the strange. Mm. And so here's a quote from Thich Nhat Hanh that I really like. If you're a poet, you will see clearly that there is a cloud floating in this sheet of paper. Without a cloud, there will be no rain. Without rain, the trees cannot grow. And without trees, we cannot make paper. The cloud is essential for the paper to exist. If the cloud is not here, the sheet of paper cannot be here either. So we can say that the cloud and the paper are inter-are. To mm. be is to inter-be. We cannot just be by ourselves alone. We have to interbe with every other thing. Mm-hmm. This sheet of paper is because everything else is. Mm-hmm. So mindfulness and meditation should allow practitioners, practitioners to become aware of interbeing. Um, so another quote from this article. Meditation researchers suggested that contempl- contempl- contemplative practices... <laughs> I can't. I can't. Enact new ways of experiencing self in the world. Generating a wide range of phenomenological effects that are prevented by non-meditative modern configurations of selfhood. Um, initially, these states were considered pathological, and some have classified them as mystical experiences, and a lot of them have been critiqued as being individualistic and subjective. But um, Carvelho argues that the critique of meditative experience, <clears throat> including Freud's critique of the oceanic feelings, Zizek's attack on the Western meditative stance, and Caret's considerations on Maslow's imperialism, they're they're rooted in like a western perspective um he says i'm interested in the potential of meditation to enact decentered and relational subjectivities i suggest that meditation can allow us to question the human slash non-human divide belonging to the set of new aesthetic practices that gutari wrote about and another good great quote from thik Nhat han who says when, when describing meditation in that moment the sense of myself as an entity among the other entities disappeared I knew that this insight did not arise from disappointment, despair, fear, desire, or ignorance. 
A veil lifted silently and effortlessly. At that moment, I had the deep feeling that I had returned. My clothes, my shoes, even the essence of my being had vanished. Hmm. And I was carefree as a grasshopper pausing on a blade of grass. So basically, uh, Hans transcends that sense of separateness between self and other. Um, and it's a returning. It's not something new. It's going back to the way things are, the, the reality. Um, the, this relational ontology erodes the self-world dichotomy. These experiences enact an ecological subjectivity, dissolving the distinction between subject and other, fostering a non-dual experience of reality. The domain of the res cogitin is broken. The modern self, permanently in control, is destabilized, and the ego no longer tries to inframe reality. Mm. These dispositions enacted by meditation are the subjective correlate of particular forms of social intervention. Um, so that's a quote from Carvalho. But I think, right. again, we're hitting on that whole non-dual aspect that, that meditation forms. Sure. So uh, the, these practices, meditation practices, can be understood as mediators with the potential to perform non-dual forms of subjectivity. <clears throat> Which um kind of links back to um Jenny O'Dell's work in in how to do nothing about breaking the I it relationships into moving into the I thou relationships. So in right. other words, moving from subject object to subject subject. Okay. I'm gonna make this link because I read the book for class and I'm supposed to connect some class sources here. Yeah. When we recognize the ecological nature, there's a quote from Jenny O'Dell. When we recognize the ecological nature not only of biotic communities, but of culture, selfhood, and even thought. It's not just the boundary between self and other that falls away. We are in, in a position to see past another supposedly insurmountable barrier, the one between the human and the non-human. Another quote, if what I've said about the ecology of self is true, then it may be, and then it may only be among the most elaborate web of the non-human that we can most fully experience our own humanity. Hmm. Which kind of reminds me of Tommy Pico's nature poem, which I also read for class, where <clears throat> it's a nature poem that really is about how he can't write a nature poem <laughs> because he's indigenous, he's gay, and he feels separate from the world and like he doesn't belong and he's working through that. But he also feels like he does have a sense of this connectedness, but he's kind of fighting it. And the fact that like Western society just wants to oppress and separate and, you know, the uh, patriarchal or um, colonial mm. impact of Western society. Yeah. Um, so he's working through that as well. One final quote from uh, Jenny O'Dell, which I think brings us back to the original point. Um, but the sparrow and I were no longer strangers. It was no stretch of the imagination, nor even of science to think that we were related. We, we were both from the same place, made of the same stuff. And most important, we were both alive. That brings us back to Michael Gunger, the idea that we're all part of life. We need to see the world non-dually in order to um, live in a way that will take care of the environment as well as ourselves. And that can be done hypothetically through meditation. Hypothetically. All right, so you've talked a lot about, you know, the various strands of your research, but I guess um, how would you summarize the, the research and your conclusions and just where it's all directing you for the purpose of this project. So I would say that mm, there's no right way when it comes to meditation, um, that it is something that can be done in a variety of ways or different kinds of meditations. Um, uh, John Kabat-Zinn highlights there's mountain meditation, lake meditation, walking meditation, which is the Therobian meditation, standing meditation, lying down meditation. So like a body scan. And then there's the typical sitting meditation where you just follow your breath. Hmm. 
whatever you whatever kind of meditation you choose you trust that quote in this moment this is it whatever and wherever this is looking deeply into whatever the this of the present moment is keeping a, keep up a continuity of mindfulness allowing one moment to unfold into the next without analyzing discoursing judging condemning or doubting simply mm-hmm. observing embracing opening letting be accepting right now only this step only this moment mm-hmm. another quote from john kabat-zinn um so it's saying yes saying yes to this moment and in saying yes you, there's a level of gratitude i think of diane and butler's bass's book grateful and the importance of gratitude and not only on your mental health but on your relationship to things yeah i think of robin wall Kimmerer's book braiding sweetgrass and mm-hmm. the central idea of giving back to the environment when you when you take something from it and it's like a a gift giving relationship not just a taking there's a level of gratitude a gratefulness um for what you receive and meditation can help foster that by saying yes to this moment and by doing that you then move into that larger self the the deeper self the ecological self that transcends that subject object divide and moves you into a non-dual awareness that will impact the world more positively so that's how i would kind of conclude the research sure that i've done sure. um while also noting that meditation is really fucking hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it takes discipline and discipline yeah. is not something i'm great at sure um i don't know am i allowed to drop an f-bomb on an academic podcast uh, it's up to you man well, i just did it's it's hard and um and everyone recognizes that and i feel like a lot of the research i've done has commented on yes, meditation definitely helps your well-being. There's so many studies on that, um, but can it be detrimental? That's one question that will come up as we move into <laughs> how my project actually went. Yeah. So, so how did your project actually go? Oh boy. Well, it started off strong. Mm. We meditated. We were we were hitting our daily meditations. I kept a meditation journal. I don't know if I commented on you, that. You did mention that, yeah. So I have I have some, you know, some journal entries. And there, uh, my first entry is, I technically meditated twice today. The first was at 5 a.m. when I was having trouble sleeping. I won't lie, my <laughs> form of meditation was repeating the mantra, fuck it, because I was tired and frustrated. <laughs> I couldn't sleep. And strangely enough, this actually worked. And I relaxed and I fell asleep. Um, and then I actually meditated uh, intentionally. Mm. So, like, I basically, what I did with my meditation is I tried different forms to some extent. I tried some guided meditations. I tried some body scans. I tried, uh, Hillary McBride has a few guided meditations I've done. Right. I've tried some ecological meditations. And I've tried just the simple sit, focus on your breathing. Um, so I've done, I've done quite a few. I didn't do the walking. I didn't do some of the, like, the standing meditations just because mm. I didn't. I kind of, I was kind of focused more on the mindfulness aspect to see what would happen. Sure. And um, I found myself kind of critiquing some guided meditations if they weren't good. <laughs> that's that's a great way to be be you know in the moment is to yeah, be oh, critiquing great. the thing that is telling you to be in the moment. Definitely the heart of meditation, right there. Um. I was at one point, I'm like, the body check was really rushed, but maybe that's because it was a 10 minute meditation. Um, my dislike of the guided meditation kind of ruined it, but I did try to my best to bring myself back to my breathing. And then it became the struggle of, I don't have a ton of time to meditate. What do I do? Um, 
and I kind of skipped some days and it was kind of back and forth and and my journal started becoming more of like an actual journal journal. Mm. What did I say here? In psychoanalytical terms, I over-identify with the ego. Meditation helps, but it is just so hard to stop and meditate when I could be doing work or reading or waste time on like social media. Mm. Um, I'd rather be doing a million other things, basically. Um, I talked about the importance of paying attention and Ladybird and and the stuff like that. Yeah, I talked about the Charles Williams' descent into hell. Ooh, oh, this is actually a good one. Sometimes I wonder about the difference between descending into your ego and ascending into your true self. I've been thinking about Charles Williams' descent into hell, where the descent into hell is literally a descent into self-absorption. Wentworth becomes so obsessed with himself that he loses the ability to tell the difference between reality and illusion. The only thing real to Wentworth is himself. Hmm. Of course, I would call that descending into the ego, into the idea that I am separate and more important or more real than anything or anyone else. But looking from an outsider's perspective, what is the practical, practical difference between a man living alone because he is ego, absorbed, and the man living alone because he is an ascetic monk or hermit. Hmm. I imagine this is an interesting the... question. Right? I've thought about N- this, yeah. Noah on February 11th was on the right track. Yeah. <clears throat> I think I said, I imagine the first is more comfortable than the second. Because, <laughs> I mean, like, this is kind of strange from the topic, but, like, I, mm. I feel like love and evil both exist in relationship with others, right? Yeah. So I don't, Asceticism is always really interesting to me, but I'm always like, I don't know how this functions. Yeah. Jenny Adele critiques it in How to Do Nothing, actually. <clears throat> and the idea that you can separate yourself from everyone else because you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is becoming more egoic. Yeah. So I wrote in this journal article, I feel like meditation is prone to this kind of conflict. Honestly, most spiritual practices are. The idea that if I do this, I will be a better person or a more worthy person infects spiritual practice like a virus. At least meditation is done in private, so it cannot be used to virtue signal. But what if Mm. I become so obsessed with myself or bettering myself or finding my true self that I miss out on the reality of living? Hmm. This is where in idealistic idealistic terms, meditation should bring one out of oneself and into a better, more present community with all things and all people. But in reality, if one spends all day alone meditating, then where's the community? Where's the life? In Kirvana Um, (laughs) Sansei. Back when I was more of a, a Christian, I this is again from the journal. I believe it was St. John of the Cross, or maybe C.S. Lewis, I don't remember. He said <laughs> that instead of spending all day alone in prayer, one should learn how to live prayerfully. Right. I think meditation is similar. Instead of only meditating by yourself, the point of meditation is to learn how to live presently. Yeah. <clears throat> and with an open awareness to all situations. Meditation should draw you into yourself so you can exhale out of yourself more fully into life. Mm. And then I got real. I am too self-absorbed. Not necessarily in the positive optimistic sense, but I think of myself negatively a lot of the time. Yeah, I focus on what I do or don't do and ignore how others feel. I obsess over my role, my flaws, and my inadequacies. And this self-consciousness means that when I'm um, talking with people, I'm constantly worrying about what I should say or how I should act or look or appear instead of actually listening and engaging thoughtfully and truthfully. Hmm. I'm so worried about being a bad person or a bad friend that I forget to actually be a good person or a good friend. This is a lot of self-reflection and self-discovery, but truthfully, this didn't come from a successful meditation. I meditated before bed, and it was almost entirely a failure. I think I paid attention to a total of five or six breaths before zoning out and getting lost in thought. But I think it was failure that forced me to re-examine what it means to meditate and how meditation can bring me out of myself. Um, 
that was probably my favorite entry from the entire time. A failure to meditate led to meditation. Yep. Deep. And that is kind of what Richard Rohr was talking about in that post. <laughs> meditation forces you to confront these parts of yourself that you don't normally want to. Mm. And then I fell into a depression. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. Um. So, like, the first bit was going, honestly, like, not too badly. Did I struggle to meditate? Yes, but still, <clears throat> it is what it is. Yeah. But then I got depressed on Valentine's Day, and it kind of just Ooh. remained until, like, March 3rd. Ooh. I don't know if I'm allowed to give details about what happened on Valentine's Day. Ooh. <laughs> but, like, I'll just say that uh, I got back home after class. I'm like, Jake, I need a Bev. And I ended up doing a few too many shots within a 25-minute period. <laughs> and then I was completely, like, drunk, ran over to A&W, and oh, got some no. Beyond Meat burgers. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it was a tough day, and then I kind of remained depressed for a while. Yeah. Uh, let's see if I can find a good journal entry about this. I, I, was ta- I was talking about the temporariness of things and how I feel like a lot of my insecurity is rooted in the fact that people only pretend to care about me and they don't actually care about me. Oh, no. I I wrote once, I miss the community I had in church. It's probably the only thing I miss about church. I felt like people actually cared whether they actually did is a different story. Hmm. Of course, when I left, literally no one from the church that I thought I was close to actually kept in touch. Which is par for the course. Of, of course, the people who stayed at the church, not the people who left with me. Kingdom City or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, here's a good one. I have to rethink how I'm doing this meditation project. I feel so alone and unmotivated. I wrote in my reflection today that I feel like I'm merely meditating for the sake of the project, and usually I leave it to the last minute and do it just so I get it done. That's not what the heart of meditation should be. I know I should be doing this communally, but how would I even do that? Who would I Who would I? make do this with me so i'll continue doing it the way i'm doing (laughs) (laughs) oh here's here's the heart of the depression i think this is february 26th okay this will get basically to the heart of everything i meditate to maintain my sanity at this point i've barely left my room this entire week and i'm hampered by the fact that my future is entirely uncertain i don't have friends to rely on past this school year at least not in london I could go back to Calgary and like reform a lot of the friendships that I had then, mm-hmm. but they're mostly married and busy with other things, apart from Glenn. Hi. Or maybe I will just throw a dart at a map and go somewhere and be free. Running away always seems to help, right? <laughs> I keep thinking about my, what my counselor told me, that I need to tell myself new stories. The problem is the evidence just doesn't lead to different conclusions. I followed her yeah. advice, and I tried to reach out to people, and, and one replied, and that was it. Um, one basically told me they were busy and one didn't even reply. Um, I found out today that a bunch of people got together without me and didn't even invite me, which kind of felt feels bad. How can I tell myself new stories when my reality seems to be the stories I've been telling? Yeah, I know. I know meditation should help me expand my story, expand myself to include other people. Meditation should tap me into the love that is and moves through all things. But I just feel so unloved and maybe I'm unlovable. Yeah. Meditation should teach me that this I is awareness itself, is love itself. And how can love not love itself? But this is how I feel, I guess. I meditated for 10 minutes and still felt bad. Sounds about right. My problem is me. Also, this journal has literally just become about me being depressed and anxious instead of being about meditation. But maybe that's okay. (laughs) That was basically, yeah. 
And then the next few entries are, well, my meditation or my mental health tank today. So I didn't really meditate. I just stared up at the ceiling and got lost in my thoughts. Uh, some stuff about anxiety. <laughs> March 1st. Maybe self-reliance is the best way to live. You don't have to worry about anyone else and no one can hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the best entry. Literally two lines for March 1st. Nothing Incredible. about meditation. Incredible. Um, And then here's where things start to change. This is where it gets interesting. March 2nd. And March 2nd is like... I always say my big period of depression lasted from February 14th to March 3rd. So March 2nd is an important day. Oh, what did I say here? My mind was really, really busy today. I managed to meditate for a good 10 to 15 minutes. Um, I was intentional today, which is good. And I meditated when I had a spare moment, um, but not right before bed, which is a good change. Hmm. I found that all of my worries and concerns were coming to mind. My unworthiness, the fact that I tend to ruin things, all of the assignments I had to do. And even the fact that I had to write this journal. I even got a little bit emotional at one point, which may be good. While I tried to return my focus to my breath, the thoughts just kept coming. And this time, I just let them come. Every time I realized I was identifying with my thoughts, I returned my focus to my breath. And there was a moment, as brief as it was, where I think I was starting to get the hang of it. Hmm. But then I thought about how it was going well, and that made me lose the moment. (laughs) That was kind of funny. I really am not in a great place mentally. This meditation session may have actually helped me distinguish my thoughts, my worries, and false identifications from my true self. Mm. I still wonder, though, how meditation will bring me more into community with other people. That certainly has not started to occur yet. Meditation, when I look back, my failure to meditate kind of frustrated me and just made me think more about how I'm inadequate. Right. If I can't even meditate for a project that I'm supposed to do for school once a day, Mm. how am I intending to do anything? How am I worthwhile? How am I <clears throat> supposed to get a job or whatever, make a career when I can't even do something as simple as this intentionally? Right. So that was frustrating. Um, and it made me question a lot of things. Um, and I was also kind of depressed. Mm-hmm. That depression, obviously, like I said, it just um, hampered things. And it's still like it's I mean, we, we've talked about this before. The depression causes you to see people differently and yeah. stories about other people that aren't necessarily true. Absolutely. Like how right now I think a lot of people probably hate me because I may have almost gotten them sick, <laughs> mm. which may or may not be true, but it yeah. might also be true. Yeah. The point of the matter is just that like in my head, it feels true. And I yeah. always feel like I have to earn other people's like other people's not respect but like admiration or i want other people i just want other people to care about me at least at that point i felt very uncared for and it's hard when a lot of the friends i'm closer to are in calgary yeah and a lot of the friends that i've made here just don't uh reach out Mm. at least didn't at that point things change um and that's how i got in this situation with covid (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah you know you know what i'm talking about <laughs> i wrote i wrote a poem about this and i feel like the problem i came to is that i don't care mm. and and i don't know if it's true yeah it sounds like you care a lot I, I, that's here's to some extent i care a lot and to some extent i'm just really nihilistic that's fair i don't know i just it kind of gets to the heart of like where i'm at yeah, like I do care, but I feel like so many people care about things that I'm just like, but we're gonna die. Yeah, and I want to care more, but I just I don't have it in me. Yeah, like I care about certain things, and I care about certain things too much, and 
Well, but, I mean, the truth is I care and I'm just afraid that I'm going to lose what I care about, I think is really at the heart of the matter. So then I try to stop caring. And that's how you get numb. <laughs> let me let me offer you a, maybe a flip on your perspective on your meditation. Beauty. Um, Because a lot of what you're saying is like, I did this meditation project and it sucked. And now I'm just... I, I'm just caught in this trap of thinking about how much I suck and how yep. everything's awful. And sure, um, I, I guess my perspective is you did this for eight weeks. Yeah. And maybe like the goal of meditation isn't to do it for eight weeks. It's to do it every day. Yeah. And so you've done it for eight weeks. And like we, we talked about like this is a practice. Like it's a thing you need to train yourself to do. And this eight weeks was the initiation of that. Yeah. Hypothetically, it's you coming to like this initial bump that is the self. And mm. you ran into the self. And as you're doing the meditation thing, which is becoming more aware of yourself. Yeah, you did that. You succeeded in that, and you're like, "This sucks," and I hate it, mm-hmm. which is fair. But I think the goal of a project like this is to do that and to keep doing that until you get to the other side of that. Yeah, and then you can reflect on all of that. You you reflect on, I gained all of this awareness of myself, and I started to realize like, what is the self? What is just anxiety and whatever. Mm master that accomplish that and then you can bring that out into the world yeah no i think you're right i think i was too hard on myself a lot of the time and like the last few weeks it's gone better mm-hmm. i guess like i have meditated slightly more frequently um and i mean we did reach a period where i mean once i got out of my depression then suddenly i was talking with people again and suddenly i was being yeah. invited out to like a bunch of different things mm-hmm like day parties on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. And like a birthday party and we went and we went to bingo night. Mm-hmm. And I went to the Reliant K concert. Yeah. And that's important. I want to talk about the Reliant K concert. I also want to talk about that cuz I <laughs> missed it. <laughs> we uh <clears throat> we're going to go on a little tangent here, but as yeah. Rob Bell once said, there are no tangents. Before you do that though, like I, I even think because cause you said I like you thought that you were too hard on yourself. Mm. I don't think there's too hard or too little. I think, mm. I mean, the, the entire point of this is like everything just is. Um, you being hard on yourself is not a reflection of success or failure. It's a reflection mm. of yourself and you're learning mm. about who that is. Dang, that's some good stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're you're right. It's all part of it. I don't know. I really wanted to do. I wanted to do better, and I hate. <laughs> I hate using the word better, but like you get what I mean. Yeah. Like, I want to succeed at things, and I feel like I just I didn't. But I think that's the point. Yeah. Like I think, like, I think, I think realizing that's realizing that you wanted to like win meditation yeah. is a form of meditation, <laughs> and you're like, you're realizing like the flaws of the mental process. That's ex- that's exactly it, and like. One thing I will say is, like, ecologically, I don't think my impact has changed at all. Well, no. <laughs> I, I don't think eight weeks was ever going to do that. Yeah. Like, I like that my research focused on that, and there's some good stuff there. Mm-hmm. I mean, we spent, like, a half hour of this podcast, me, me just reading research, yeah. basically. Um, 
and there's some really good stuff there and i think it does i think if i you keep meditating long term yeah. it will eventually reorient your sense of self yeah because again like eight weeks is a small a sample. Short period. i think the goal is like eight months or eight years and then you yeah. look back and you're like did anything change but eight years things are going to change regardless so i don't know Well, exactly <laughs> and one thing i will say is like even though I was like depressed during that two week period, once I <clears throat> kind of got out of that, I uh, ended up being more communal with people. Yeah, which I didn't. It part of it was me being intentional, and part of it was just it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I did something for me, and that was that was important, and that was going to the Reliant K concert. Yeah, transition. Let's do it. And so I drove out to Toronto last Thursday. And uh, stopped at a pub, ate some fish and chips. Mm. And then I went to see a band that, you know, was technically my first favorite band. Yeah, similar. Um, I, Yeah, no, no. But similar <laughs> was great. Similar yeah. was great. They did a great job. Mm. Um, The crowd crowd got into it. There were a lot yeah. of... The, the Reliant Gay showed up, I will nice. tell you. Nice. They, they were loud and proud. Nice. And it was great. <clears throat> And you, of course, had some greasy old Christians being like, Ugh, I disagreed <laughs> with everything. I disagreed with everything similar said. I hope Reliant K is better, but my hopes aren't high. Yeah. I'm like, come on, get over yourselves. Yeah. It's uh, similar was great. And then uh, similar had the courage to talk about their story, mm-hmm. which was important. And a lot of people felt heard and seen, which was yeah. good. And then Reliant K came out and it was like, oh. Oh man, I was I got really into it, and like the set list was pretty good. Though I mean, I do wish there was some more collapsible lung on there. Sure. But um, I just remember being like, this is the first time I've done something for myself like this in a long time, mm. <clears throat> and I felt a level of peace and and joy that I hadn't experienced in a long time either. Mm. I mean, part of it was just when you hear songs played live that you've known since you were like five or six. Yeah. There's just a, it's a, something special about it. Yeah, and they were also like Relanke was really good live. Yeah, like they everything sounded perfect. They were had a good stage presence, and like I just I had a lot of fun. It was just a lot of fun, and it's what I needed. Yeah, and I don't know if I would have gotten there if it hadn't been partially due to my self awareness that I've gained through meditation. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it was just it was just a great time, mm-hmm. and then I drove home at one a.m. Yeah, and it wasn't long after that I started to feel congested. Oh uh, yeah, maybe it's a good thing I didn't go then. It felt like you know you know the fable about like the dog and it like sees its reflection or whatever. Uh, kind of. And like it has like a steak in its mouth and it sees like the steak in the reflection and tries to grab mm. that and drops both. Oh, okay, that's kind of how I feel about like. My concert situation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because, yeah. I Because I wanted to go to Reliant K, and I had tickets to Half Alive. And mm-hmm. I kept waiting to figure out what the plan for Half Alive was. And then it didn't happen. And then it was too late to buy tickets to Reliant K. And then I just missed both of them. Yeah. I'm not um, going to lie. You probably should have bought the plane tickets to Reliant K when I told you they were 50 bucks. Yeah. I just, for some reason, I thought that they were going to stay that price for a while. And they didn't. But yeah. That's okay. I got to. I watched Will Smith slap Chris Rock on live television. So, there you go. You know what? 
I like Daniel Radcliffe's response. His, and that's what I'm he had with. the right response. Yeah. Like, I just not I have no opinion. I guess we're getting to the point of the podcast where I've got to wrap things up. Yeah. I feel like a lot that I have to say can't be said right just in blank verse. Sure. We can call it that. Sure. Um, so I'm probably going to have a poem that will show up at, to conclude hmm. this uh, the sec- segment. This segment, this episode, this experience. Yeah. Um, but one thing I will say is just that I'm glad I did this project. Yeah. I'm glad I've done a lot of the research and the reading and really have kind of head, dove headfirst into meditation and its relationship to e- ecological well- wellness and, and the self and yeah, expanding your consciousness. Yeah. And Emerson would be happy with that too. You know, I haven't talked yeah. about Emerson this episode, but you haven't. Emerson was all about expanding your, your sense of self to include yeah. nature, especially nature. Um, I mean, he wrote an essay on nature. Yeah. His understanding of circles and the way circles include and all things and yeah. um, the oversoul, which connects all things. I mean, it's a very Emerson. Emerson, Emerson was just one of the founders of ecological wellness. I think Emerson and Thoreau, you could point back. Yeah. And like there was a spiritual aspect to mine as well. Mm-hmm. That That greater self or... Or that God, Christ, whatever you want to call, yeah, the thing that is, and saying yes to that. But it is hard to say yes when oftentimes your ego wants to say no, mm-hmm. and learning that the ego is part of it too, and yeah. you can't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I don't. There's this book that I own called "The Ego Is the Enemy," and I haven't read it, but I don't right. like calling the ego the enemy because it's mm. it's a part of you too. Yeah, and it's understanding how to relate. And co coexist with that and yeah. be a part of that and not allow it to overpower you, but to still recognize it. Yeah. And that really, I like Michael Gunger's lately has been on this whole thing of love is to say yes mm. and to accept and to be. And I like that to say yes, to say yes, this is included. Yes, this is a part of it. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're you're a part of it. The nature is a part of it. We're all a part of this thing. And saying right. yes to that and accepting it. That that's yeah. love. That's that's and you don't need it to be reciprocated. You don't need it to necessarily love you back, but by saying yes to it, you're you're expanding that that love throughout the the world. And I don't know if I would necessarily accomplish that. Again, I use uh, these success terms, but right I do think I've at least grown into a larger understanding and I've faced some, some demons. I've faced some parts of myself that were difficult to face Mm -hmm. and we've uh, encountered love in a way that may not have been how I expected, but maybe it's what I, that's how it is. And that's needed. So the poem I'm going to read is called uh, the Stardust Spiral, which kind of it's just what i'm temporarily calling it i I, i'm not too sure if it'll stick but um i wanted to give a brief little introduction just because this is going to be a part of this is gonna be the part that's presented so if you're listening to this as a podcast this part will be presented to my class and i just want to briefly say that uh this is a longer poem it's the longest poem i've ever written and um it delves into my psyche my mindset my experience my relationship with 
the world and with what is and um it's vulnerable and maybe a little too vulnerable and i just want to say two things one the form is important and the way it's written is really interesting to me because i move from rhyming couplets to more of like a blank verse or just a almost like a prose uh, one portion of it the, the middle portion um in written form it it's almost looks like a spiral i tried to make it uh to form format it that way and i usually don't care about the form of my poetry but for this i really tried and it it's really interesting. I hope it works. I hope it comes through. And the other thing I just want to um, point out, and just before anyone has concerns, um, the middle portion gets into my psyche, and I use images that are a little bit extreme and uh, exaggerated. And uh, it's vulnerable, and it reveals the way my mind can can fall victim into the spiral of intrusive thoughts. But at the same time, it's not... I don't want people to think this is the entirety of who I am. I don't want people to think I'm uh, like a depressed, raging alcoholic um, because those are some of the images I use. It's just more, obviously, it's poetry. It's images that help represent the meaning of things and help to get, get at the heart of things. But it might be triggering for some of you, so I just want to give a warning. And it also, don't want I don't want any messages being concerned for my well-being after because I'm fine. This is just images to help represent the way intrusive thoughts are, are made manifest at all times, but especially during meditation. With that being said, this is uh, the Stardust Spiral. It all started with the rippling waves, crying out, the way of the ocean saves. I shivered as the cool breeze pierced my heart, flowing life manifest in every part. Oh, how she sang all her soothing songs, while I lost or found myself in her throngs. Her notes are in every sound, every call, a symphonic choir of one made one in all. But it is in stillness you hear her best, when all that remains is your beating breast. Crashes and clashes of commercial kind leave little room to be in her, I find. So I sought time and space to be silent, and avoid a world that's just too violent. This caustic cacophony so nearly caving in our hearts and souls severely. A society so concerned with me, so obsessed with stock and shopping sprees that we walk past the beaten traveler. We ignore the beautifully broken battler. The splintered few that society feels should be scorned or spun as we spin our wheels. But it is not just people we neglect, those who differ by gender, race, or sex, but the breathing trees, the rocks in the air, the living planet for which we should care. We think that we're separate, superior, we see differences as inferior, we are so blinded by this illusion that we ignore our genetic diffusion. Yes, we all arose from the same stardust, from our hot apple pies to the Earth's crust. Atoms form the basis of all that is, yet we still see through eyes of separateness. So I sought to see the world differently, to see the oneness, to see non-dually, and meditation seemed like the best way to hear her voice again from whence I've strayed. And oh, how I've strayed. And meditation is supposed to be an initiation to this wonderful oneness, this flow, but I'm trapped and lost in my mind, oh, oh no. In the dark, there's nothing, nothing but me. The shadow pulls me back inside, whispering every truth I've ever believed. Like, they'll never care about you. I pull out my phone, she still hasn't called, and she won't, so I crash and burn until I can't feel nothing at all. And the booze pours out and drowns my sorrow, and hopefully, I won't remember this tomorrow. Why didn't you and Shattered Glass tells me this will never pass, because it broke the skin for once. Oops, I've sinned. Ugly, boring, skinny, stressed, useless, stupid, lazy, pest, unrighteous, broken, sinful, repressed, unlovable, anxious, numb, depressed. Just one more shot, I'm only eight deep, it's 4am and I know I won't sleep because when I sleep I dream of her, of me, and how things will never be the way I want them to be. The void engulfs my chest, I'm feeling really quite blessed because the liquor brings me back to myself, or at least that's what he the darkness tells me. Oh, at least I have a name for the void, longing lack because things aren't right. Gunshots and missile strikes fill the air, the poor keep dying while the rich keep buying, millions dead because they're scared of a jab. 
Moab are too fucking self-righteous to wear a mask, and you, church, promise protection, salvation, and healing to the women you molest, proclaiming that Jesus is the answer if you have enough faith, or at least a big enough check to buy your God who extols the extravagant virtues of stealing. You blame poverty on sowing insufficient seeds while you bury riches beneath diamond sod. But the voice tells me I'm no better and I'm not. All I do is hurt and hurt others. I drive everyone away, but nobody wants me anyway. I ride the spiral. Just one more, okay, maybe two. Another hangover is nothing new. I am an afterthought, so why should I even try? Codependency will be the end of me. Nothing I do or say will change how I feel. I am an exile, prone to wander, forever on the run, and sometimes I wonder if I'll ever find my home, because this anxious fear keeps shouting that I'm going to end up all alone, and I deserve it. Meditation pulls me into the darkness, and I got lost within the void. Resentment consumed me and stopped altogether. I, f I failed. But in that spiral, I was forced to confront the bits I wish were different or gone. Like St. John's journey, dark night of the soul, I must accept the parts within the whole. And her voice, the voice from the rippling waves, that in a whisper sings a song that saves. Her voice may be soft, much softer than his, but it sounds so much stronger when she says, These thoughts are intrusive, they are not you. You are more than useless, broken or blue. You are not perfect, that much is true. But you are alive and loved each day anew. She calls me back, tells me to accept me, all of me, because that is how she sees. Her name? She does not settle on any creed. She is love, and she is all that we need. Love is gentle and kind, love never fails, but she's also wild. Life is no fairy tale. Failure, sadness, loss, it's all part of it, even when it hurts and you feel like shit. Moments of joy, surprise, and are fleeting, but these glimpses are love's glorious greeting. So I'm learning to take each day at a time and accept it all, the good and the grime. I'm learning to pause and be grateful for little things. For beers with good friends and the blue jay's wings. For Korean fried chicken and onion rings. For quiet walks at night in the rainy spring. Someday I will wind up back by the sea, watching the waves crash over weathered debris. When the voice of love will call o'er the breeze and the harsh and exciting squawk of wild geese. Over and over and over announcing my place and yours in the family of things. Um, do you have any comments? Any uh, any perspectives on meditation you want to throw into the? Um, I don't know. I I just something about what you said. I I, I was messaging Nikayla Reese yesterday, and I don't know. She just talked about like depression being like a messenger, and like like your body is trying to communicate something to you, and like listening to that and being in that space, and I think that's part of what you've been talking about with like mm. your meditation experience specifically is like yeah. this opening the door to actually listen to your body, your mind, mm. the different parts of yourself and like hearing what they actually need and sitting in that space, which is not comfortable. That's not a comfortable place to be by any means, but I think it's a place you need to open yourself to if you want to eventually open yourself to the world. Mm. I don't think I could say it any better than that, to be honest. There you go. I think you hit the nail on the head. This is why you bring me on. This is why it's a communal podcast and not just the Hell Noah yeah. talks into the void. Hell yeah. Because then you would bring up Ryan Johnson. Oh, God. <laughs> You're not wrong. I didn't shout out Peter Rollins' this episode either. Sad. That's true. It's it's okay, but I'm a little rusty and I've been sick, so Yeah. But Peter Rollins would say that honestly there's just a lot of contradiction that's just a part of being and you have to come to terms with that. Yeah. And accept that. And that's a part of meditation. Yeah. Like like you said, just accepting that saying yes and, and listening to the different parts. Mm-hmm.
I think that's going to about do it. <clears throat> there you go. So thank you all, specifically Kate, for listening. Is Kate your prof? Yeah, Kate's my prof. Okay. Um, thank you for listening. Um, hopefully you enjoyed this return of 3040 Vision. Yeah, we're doing it weekly. <laughs> yeah, we're doing it weekly. <laughs> um, thank you to Glendon for uh, recording this with me <laughs> pretty last minute. And uh, yeah, it was, it was very helpful. Uh, hopefully my voice wasn't too messed up throughout the episode. I, okay. I had a couple moments. I was really good for the last portion, I feel like. Yeah, once you took that break. Yeah, that break was needed. I was dying. At the end you were dying. But, you know, my phlegm is loose. It's a good sign. I'm going to get Quiznos. Yeah. Why you not get Subway? No, sir. <laughs> Subway. No, and it's not how you make the sandwich. They provide the toppings, and the <laughs> toppings are all shite. <laughs> I'm ending this podcast by saying no to Subway. <laughs> there, that's the conclusion of my meditation journey. Subway is still bad. <laughs> and you should choose any other sub place. Uh, like, I've had Firehouse. Firehouse is good. They don't have those in Alberta. Okay. I was going to say, I don't know what Firehouse is. Quiznos is perfect. Perfect amount of meat, perfect amount of vegetables. The meat tastes good. The buns are better than Subway's, which is stupid because Subway's are made fresh, but they taste horrid. Well, Quiznos is frozen and, like, shipped in. Yeah. But Subway is just, I don't know what it is, man, but it's not satisfying. Mm. Having said that, though, the one time where I ordered it with you last year was actually quite good. Yeah. Like, I can eat Subway and be happy. You just need my presence. And so that's it. Yeah, you know, Glendon just makes every sub better. That's, yeah, that's why I've generally had it. I will say, there is one that I had recently where i was like this is so bad i can't do this i think i think i maybe ordered it and got like super lost and it was like running around for half an hour and then by the time i had it it just like kind of congealed together i was like this is disgusting i do not want to taste this that's subway for you yeah but yeah anyway thanks for listening (laughs) thanks for indulging in our subway discussion yeah if there's one piece of advice i could give you it's as much as you want to think you're okay and better off alone and that you can be self-reliant, as, as Emerson would put it, um, that self interacts with every other person, every other thing on the planet, mm-hmm. and you can't separate yourself from that as much yeah. as you might want to. Yeah, you can't be self-reliant, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that almost killed me. Well, anyway, (laughs) bad puns aside, that was an amazing pun. You need you need other people, and just like Glendon needs Reliant K, even though he didn't go to see them. Sad. Yeah, you don't exist separate from anyone else. So as much as it would be better, and you can't get hurt, and like you don't have to worry about people caring or not caring about you. Yeah, it's just a part of life, and it's a part of living, and it's a part of being that you are constantly interacting with other people and other things. Mm-hmm. And it's hard, and it hurts, and it can really suck sometimes. But there are also moments of beauty and joy, and yeah, that comes just just it's all part of it. And I feel like we keep coming back to that. It's just it's all it's all part of it, mm-hmm. and you just have to learn how to take the good with the bad and accept it all because that's what it means to live yeah 
So hopefully you've enjoyed this episode. And if you do, be sure to like and subscribe. <laughs> Leave us Maybe a review. Share it. Maybe share yeah. it with your friends. Maybe share it with <clears> your friends. I put a surprising amount of effort into this. I had like 10 pages of notes. Yeah. And I want to thank Glendon once more for coming on and, and performing his role as host. and The smart uh, guy. The smart guy. <laughs> and um, I want to thank Matthew Tabarata. Mm. Just for no reason. But we just have to throw him into the episode. Yeah. And um, be sure to uh, look up at the sky every once in a while. And look down at the, your feet. Yeah. Look on up. I didn't play that song. Hey, that was actually "Look On Up" was a song I was gonna play for my um, my seminar for this class. Yeah, but my prof kind of just forgot to play it. But yeah, you know that's mm. a good way to end, end the podcast. Look on yeah, up. It's a good song. Feel the ground. Be present. Stop worrying about social media. Yeah. Get off Twitter. Touch grass. Yeah. Touch. Literally touch grass. <laughs> and hopefully, um, you enjoyed. And this episode is not an hour and a half. Thank God. Yeah, we we made it. I mean, it's an hour 15, but I imagine it's going to get cut down a lot. Yeah. I had a lot of coughs and stuff that I've got to trim, so... Um, but yeah, bring it down to about an hour, and... Uh, yeah. Alright. Uh, good night, Seattle. Um, so long, Toronto. Hey, that actually means something now. Yeah, it does. Wow. I should go live in Seattle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Alright. Um, goodbye. Goodbye.